Welcome to the Buried Treasures Podcast, brought to you by Majid Uthman, where I interview a new guest every week to discover their journey. I'm Hamza Warsi. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, wa salatu wa salam, ala Sayyidina Muhammad, Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu, jazakumullahu khayran. Everyone for joining us uh, today. We have a very esteemed guest who uh, came on before and during Ramadan, uh, none other than Sheikh Asfaruddin. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu How you doing, brother? Good. Alhamdulillah. How's everything with you? Good. Good. My man. Mashallah. Ready for this? Ready? You ready to go? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, growing up, uh, where were you born and raised, uh, and so on? Sure. I was born in Glendale Heights, better known as Ghetto Heights. <laughs> <laughs> Then, first seven, eight years of my life, we moved to North Aurora. We moved to North Aurora. And then afterwards, we moved back to Glendale Heights, and that's where I spent the rest of my childhood. Okay, nice. Mashallah. Yeah. Wow. North Aurora. So you were off of Orchard? I don't remember. If you could even recall. Yeah, I don't remember. Oh, it was right in front of the Schneider School. Okay, mashallah. Yep. Nice, nice. So then, so t- let, let me dive a little bit into this. You're part of a family, mashallah, that's, uh, you know, it, it's like true brotherhood between you guys. And mashallah, all your brothers are hafal, correct? No, my oldest brother is not a hafal. He tried, um, mashallah. but uh, all, the rest of us are hafal. So mashallah, four. Four hafal. Four hafal, right. three ulama. You're right. Mashallah, mashallah. So how is it growing up in that dynamic, in that household? With you know, what kind of motivated you guys to go study, or what motivated you guys to go um, and initially do hiv? Well, in the summer of 1995, my mom went to Pakistan, and uh, she saw some of our nieces and nephews, and she realized that they were hafal. And then she said to her, she said to herself that my kids are smarter than your kids. If you guys can become Hafal, my kids can become Hafals as well. Then she turned to me and Atif and she said, you're going to be a Hafil and you're going to be a Hafil. And she turned to me as well. It's like, well, all right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what basically motivated me to become a Hafil. SubhanAllah. So where did you go for your memorization? I went to IIE in Elgin. Okay, mashallah. And can you tell us a little bit about it? Were you, were you dorming there? Are you going back, back and forth to home? I was dorming there. Um, I was dorming there, and that was the challenge. Actually, when we came back from Pakistan, we came back uh, and we received a tour of the madrasa in Elgin. And my brother Atif, his eyes lit up because he, when he saw the students were uh, reciting Quran out loud, and the for him that atmosphere was conducive. He he wanted to leave public school and memorize the Qur'an. Me, I was like, if Atif's doing it, whatever, I'll do it. So on the way back, so my mom said, my mom asked, so do you want to become a Hafiz? I said, yeah, sure, I'll do it if Atif's doing it. So on the way back home, uh, she said, oh yeah, one more thing. You know that you're going to have to stay from Sunday night till Saturday morning. I said, serious? I don't want to do it anymore. (laughs) I don't want to do it. She said, no, you already took, you already said it. You're going to have to do it. And uh, 
I was a mama's boy. I mean, the teachers were great. The environment was great, but I didn't want to stay at another school. I missed my mom a lot. So on Sundays, Saturday would be the best day of my life. That's when you come back home. Yeah. After you recited uh, your, your sabak. Then you go home around 11 a.m. Sunday, so I would watch the Bears game from noon to 3 p.m. I would be fine. Right after the Bears game ended, I would be enveloped in sadness. I would start crying. <laughs> I would be like, man, I don't want to. Whether the Bears won or lost. Yeah, it didn't matter. <laughs> and played a lot of tricks on my mom to, you know, once she was dropping me back once she was dropping me and my brother to the madrasa and she was on bluff city boulevard that's the street of the madrasa so then we were driving she passes the madrasa she keeps going and then she's like where's the madrasa i don't see it i said oh the madrasa it just got demolished you know we, we got to go back home she said buck she did a u-turn she's like go another time my uncle was dropping me and my brother off so he dropped us off. He said, all right, go ahead. Well, we, I'll wait for you until you open the door. So I told my brother, Atif, wait, let, let me go first. So I went to the door. I pretended it was locked. I was like, oh, it's locked. We, we got to go back home. <laughs> my uncle was like, really? So he got out of the car. He opened the door. He said, get your butt inside. <laughs> but if it wasn't for my dad... No, he wouldn't, Allah Yarhamu, he wouldn't normally hug or he showed his love in different ways. Mm-hmm. But when he used to see me cry on Sunday afternoon and all the way till Sunday night, when he would drop me off and help me, tuck me to bed, he would hug me and he would kiss me. And I, I never forgot that. That was very reassuring. Um, and my mom, so the first year and a half, I dormed at the madrasa, and then she was like, all right, I know you miss me. You sacrifice for me. I'm going to sacrifice for you. So five days of the week, she would drop me off at 8 a.m., stay in the parking lot from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. Sure. until I recited my sabak, my sabak sabara and al-mukhta, uh, my revision, and then go back home. She did that five days a week. Mashallah. So I have my dad to thank, my mom, uh, my teachers. Even though they weren't born here, I wanted to be like them. They're very soft-spoken, modest. They always dressed fresh. They looked clean. Um, their beard was always on point. They always had the best clothes, especially Monasad. I wanted to be like them. Um, and Atif, I couldn't have done it without Atif. So some of those nights were really long nights. So he would sleep on the top, I would sleep on the bottom of the bunk bed. Uh, and I needed, I definitely needed all those four groups of people. And even Mona Salim, I remember sometimes I would go to his office and I would start crying. I would say, I want to go back home. He said, you just got here. It's Sunday night. And then there would be silence for about 10, 15 seconds. And then he said, come here. Then he would hug me from the side. And then he would take his qamis, he would blow on it like this. And then he would r- put it on my eye because due to the excessive crying, it became red. That felt really nice. So that was very reassuring. 
So it wasn't if it wasn't for my teachers, if it wasn't for Mossalim, my mom, my dad, and Atif, I wouldn't be a Hoffield. Now, how old were you during this time when you were going and going to study? I was ten. So from 1996 to 1998. So at 10 years old, you're living in a boarding madrasa with your brother. Right. And you're trying your best to memorize the Quran. Right. I just wanted to put it in perspective that, you know, subhanAllah, like, you know, so many people go at, you know, a little bit later in life. The environment is conducive. Now hindsight is 20-20. It was like magic. I, I never experienced anything like it. I would recite at night to Mu'an Sulaiman. So he would recite the verse, I would repeat it, and if I made any mistake, he, he would correct me, and then I would have to repeat the verse again. But if I didn't, he would go to the next verse. After I recited that one page to him with proper tajweed, then I would go sit in the corner and just face the wall and repeat 30 times, 40 times, 50 times. Then brush my teeth, pray Aisha, knock out. Mm-hmm. When I would wake up, it was like magic. It just—it was in my head. Mashallah. I, I, I don't. I have no other way to describe it. There were some days, or I—I—that tr- strategy didn't work. I would say one out of once every month. For some reason, it just—I needed two days to memorize that page. But for the most part, Alhamdulillah, that strategy worked for me. Sure. Read as much as I could at night, and then read right when I wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned Mona Suleiman Saab, you mentioned Mona Saad Saab. So who were your teachers? Were were they all teaching you during this time? So for the first six ajzah, it was Mona Saad. Okay, mashallah. And then, since there were more students coming and dorming, they had another teacher come. Mona Abdurrahman came. And since he's the oldest, I think I guess you could do this. He took all the good students. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of them, and he took Atif as well. Um, so for the first, I, I I definitely consider both of them my teachers. Mashallah. But for the f- first six, I'd say it was Mona Saad, and then for the remaining twenty-four, it's Mona Abdurrahman. Mashallah. So walk me through a little bit, um, if you don't mind me asking, how long did it take you to complete your memorization? Took two years and a few days. Okay, Mashallah. Me, me and Atif were always in competition. It was a healthy competition. Some days I would be ahead, and some days he would be ahead. In the end, he came out a few days ahead. He, oh, finished, he, he finished it for me. Yeah, that punk. Oh, mashallah. Yeah. During your beginning days of studying um, or memorizing, for example, um, w- you know, what was kind of the daily schedule looking like? Yeah. So in the morning, I, could, I guess I could start off. Yeah, you could start off in the morning um, you know, after we prayed Fajr. And just waking up for Fajr was uh, was interesting. Mu'ana Salim would come in with his keys, and he would take uh, he would go wake up, and then our roommate was Mikael and Aisa, so he would do the same thing with them. Even though they were African American, they didn't know Urdu. He would go Michael, Michael, Urja Michael. I was like, man, what's up? He doesn't know English. He doesn't know Urdu. Um, and then sometimes Mwana Ubaidullah would come in. And my brother Atif, he's notorious for waking up late. So one day Mwana Ubaidullah came in and he's strict. Mwana Ubaidullah is quite strict. And I, I would always want to please him because of how disciplined he is. But uh, one day Mwana Ubaidullah came in and he said, Atif, if you don't get up 
in 10 seconds, you're going to have to do 25 push-ups. So Atif got up after like 14, 15 seconds. And Amman Obedullah said, all right, 25 push-ups. Atif said, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so he, and then he went to go uh, perform wudu. But the, I thought Amman Obedullah was going to strike him. Mm-hmm. That's what we hear. You know, that's what we see with in sometimes public schools or... I, I know Hibs teachers get this bad rap that all of them hit their kids, but I never saw once any of those teachers, mashallah, strike their students. They disciplined with dignity, and they made their they made the students fee, actually feel bad when they did something bad. And that's one of the re- reasons why I wanted to be like them. Um, so in the morning after we woke up for Fajr, we had breakfast, then we would read Quran, uh, we had short break at 10 a.m., um, have snacks, then go back to reading um, all the way till Dhuhr. And then we had lunch, then a short break after lunch. Um, that's when the students, that's when we would go play basketball, football. And that's oftentimes the students were unsupervised, and that's when they went into jungly mode. <laughs> um, and then go back and read some more until Asr. After Asr, I had a short break, but I would I would want to read at that time because we already played after Dhuhr, after Maghrib, um, recite the Sabak Spara um, and Amukhta. And then at night, go over the new Sabak with my teacher. So Sabak Spara yeah. and Amukhta, for those who may not know, is the previous and attached lessons right. with your new lesson. Yes. Okay, nice, mashallah. So were you using a 13-liner or a 15-liner? I was using... so. When I first memorized the Quran, it was a 15-liner. But then a few years later... Oh, come on, bro. <laughs> <laughs> a few years later, when I went to recite, uh, did my door, did my revision with um, Lana Saad. So for the first week, actually, he failed me every oh, wow. day. Monday, he failed me. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, he failed me. Not in memorization, but in tajweed. And then the next... Then, we, so we took a break from reciting. He just went, he did tajweed lessons with me every day. Then the next week, alhamdulillah, he passed me. Um, then he said, use this until you don't need it anymore. Use a 13-liner color-coded mm-hmm. tajweed Quran. So now I use both. Sometimes I feel like using the 13-liner. Sometimes I use the 15-liner. Well, it doesn't affect like your revision because i know for like me personally if i picked up a 13 liner and i was revising with it i can revise with it but it gets a little bit difficult yeah because you know like the the photographic memory that you have with your mushaf right absolutely no so for tarawi i still use the 15 liner okay. because that's how i memorized mm-hmm. but sometimes i just feel like reading from the 13 liner this is because of uh, that i recited to mwana Saad that whole summer mm-hmm. when i was doing my revision so that kind of stuck with me too. Mashallah. Yeah. It's a little bit of both. Yeah. Nice, mashallah. So if you were to choose one, what would it be? 13 or 15? Now 15. Okay. Now nice. I, you don't, I don't need the 13 liner anymore. Nice, mashallah. Just making sure. Yeah. <laughs> we're all on the same page. Was there ever a time like, so I know this is kind of uh, something that becomes somewhat common, but not everyone goes through that. You know, a student is doing hiv. Um, 
he's progressing, he's progressing. He got 15, 20, 22, and then something happens and they end up stopping or they end up struggling a little bit more. Was there ever a time that you felt the need to leave or wanted to leave yeah. your memorization? So like I said, me and Atif would compete with one another. I, I wanted to finish before him. So one day we had, I think, a three-week break from IA. We usually don't ever get that long of a break. Mm -hmm. So I said, now's the time for me to overtake Atif. So I would memorize, but for me to continue uh, with that sabak, I had to recite to a teacher. But obviously for those three weeks, there was no teacher. Yeah. <laughs> so what I did was I took a red pen and made random mistake signs. <laughs> <laughs> so that while well, Rahman would think that, you know, he was the one that made those mistakes. So I come back, Mom the was like, how are you on the 23rd juice? You were on the 18th juice. <laughs> <laughs> Four juice in like three weeks. For sure, and bro. then I was like, no, see, you were the one that made those mistakes. He was like, I don't write in red pen. I use I don't, I use a red uh, pencil. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come. <laughs> but alhamdulillah, you know, I wasn't just skipping. Like some hafazis try to skip. Mm -hmm. I actually had it memorized. So I just... Um, it took. I just had to recite that those portions to Mana Abdul Rahman. Yeah. Um. Like sometimes, the, most of the time, that strategy worked, where I recited to Mana Sulaiman, and then at night I repeated as much as I could, and then in the morning, I repeated as much as I could, and it, it would appear in my head like magic. But That's sometimes right. it, it wouldn't. Uh, it wouldn't uh, work. Those days were frustrating. I didn't ever think of giving up mm -hmm. because I know on the second day I, I would get it. Yeah, mashallah. And then you had your brother Atif right there that right. you had to beat. Right. Yeah, mashallah. Yeah. But I would say try to start young if you can. But there are many Hufald who have memorized when they were, uh, you know, when they were older as well. Um, try to recreate that atmosphere that we have at the Madrasa. We didn't watch. We didn't have screen time the entire two years I was there, 1996, 1998. Mm -hmm. No screen time whatsoever. Sure. The only time, there was one instance, and this is when we pleaded with the administration, when the Bulls were playing the Jazz, game six, 1996, 1997. That was the only time they brought this little TV in and all the students watched it in the, in the office. Oh, no that's the only time we, we were allowed to have screen time, but otherwise, um, that the, uh, the atmosphere in the madrasa is quite conducive to memorizing the Quran. Nice, mashallah. So, mashallah, you've been you've been a hafiz of Quran for twenty two years. It's over two decades, mashallah. So, how long? How much of that time? I know, mashallah, you're very young when you finished. Um, when did you start leading tarawih? Uh, my first year of. Uh, Completing my hafiz when I was ten years old, Hafiz Shaf Qadri. He was one of the elder kids at IIE who wasn't a bully. So Shaf, if you're listening, thank you for not being a bully and <laughs> stepping up against those older bullies at IIE. But Mulana Obaidullah said he asked Hafiz Shaf to go lead, and he asked me to correct him hmm. at CPSA. Mm -hmm. This was this was the first time I didn't lead that year. But Hafiz Shaf led, and I was there to help. Uh, I was just there to correct him. Mm -hmm. um, so I started right away. Um, and then 
after I um, finished my house, I started leading at my home, leading at my friend's home. I led for a few years at Hafiz Mujtaba's house, then at small musallas. So my advice would be, lead tarawi every year. If you're a Hafiz, if you say you're a Hafiz, lead tarawi every year. Even if you're kacha, lead tarawi. Even if you don't have a masjid, lead tarawi. Even if you have nobody behind you, lead tarawi. Even if you're working full time, lead tarawi. If you're not going to use the Quran in the month of Ramadan, you're going to lose it. Mm-hmm. And we know, I know, I know so many Hufal. There aren't really Hufal. Mm-hmm. They graduated, but they haven't let Tarawi for the past 10, 15 years. And if you ask them to recite from a random place, they'd be like, I, I can't. Yeah, subhanAllah. So, how do you keep up with your, like, do you have like a daily regiment? That you're upkeeping or, you know, within a few months, you're going to take mm-hmm. care of this many adza or this yeah. many doors throughout the year. What's yeah. your kind of uh, strategy there? Yeah, I used to recite to mom mm-hmm. after I graduated. Then once I got married, I used to recite to my spouse. Sure. Then um, it got a little busy. Once I started teaching at IFS, I used to listen while on the way to work and coming back to work. And... I used to sometimes listen to Quran. I used to actually listen to a lot of Quran when I used to work out. But mm-hmm. then once I read the ayah, فَاسْتَمِعُوا لَهُ You have to listen attentively to the Quran. I was like, I'm not going to use, I'm not going to listen to the Quran even when I'm working out. Even though I was listening to it, but I just felt mm-hmm. that you need to give the Quran proper 100% attention. Um, I would work out downstairs in my, in my basement, so there would be no one there. I wouldn't be talking to anyone, but still I felt that I wanted to give it full attention. But now I'm very fortunate that my job revolves, or some a portion of my job revolves around uh, reciting the Quran in the Salah. So every Fajr Salah, the first rakah I'll read a page, and the second rakah I'll read another page. And for the Aisha Salah, I'll read another page. And then in the second rakah, I'll read another page. So that Pushing. helps. Around three and a half years, it, it took me to complete the uh, recit- to comp- complete the recitation of the Quran. Pushing. So that's one way. And of course, the other way is Tarawi. Mm-hmm. Nice, mashallah. <clears throat> so you're, you're a bit of a sports fan. You, you mentioned the Bulls. You mentioned the Jazz, uh, that you guys are watching, you know, game six. Um are like what's you what's your top you know for basketball football who are your favorite teams yeah well, actually when we were young all this is rare that all five of us love sports my oldest brother he's the one that got us into it Harith. and when we were young the teams would be Harith and the two youngest brothers Kamal and Asif and it would be versus me and Atif whether we're playing basketball football baseball or wrestling mm-hmm. those would be the teams um, and we actually created this sport called throw up, where you take the football, throw it up in the air, and then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> you got to get the football and run from one end zone to the other and score as many touchdowns as you can without getting tackled. Mm-hmm. Whoever scores the most amount of touchdowns, they win the game. So that was my favorite game growing up. It was called throw up. Harris has made that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we played basketball, football, baseball. I, actually, up until my uh, sophomore year of high school, I thought that I was going to play for the Bears, Bulls, and Cubs. <laughs> I, I was dead serious. 
I thought I, I was going to be Scottie Pippen, Deion Sanders, and um, basketball, uh, football, Deion Sanders, and uh, baseball, Sammy Sosa. I thought I was going to be all three. Then when I uh, when I uh, tried I tried out for the basketball team in Glenbard East High School, I didn't make the basketball team. <laughs> I tried out for the baseball team, I didn't make the baseball team. I tried out for the football team, and I made it. I was like, yes, got it. All right, and I was excited. Coach asked me, hey, why are you excited? I was like, I made the team. Heck yeah. He said, Udin, I don't want to burst your bubble, but everybody makes a team. <laughs> I was like, God dang it. <laughs> I was third string for uh, Glenbard East. Eventually, I did get to be a starter. Actually, I did a video on, on that as well. That's for sure. Um, but now I, I like playing ultimate frisbee. That's a new thing? Yeah. That's, nice. that's probably my favorite sport now. Nice. For sure. Because, yeah, I mean, you're, you're a former uh, MSA football champion. Um, you've won uh, your champion of TK League. Um, and there's many, many more accolades that I, I may not be aware of, mashallah. So you, you've conquered the sport of basketball and football, softball. I'm assuming you have a few trophies and a few championships, cricket probably. I don't know. You're from Glendale Heights. Uh, and then now, mashallah, you're, you're ready to conquer Ultimate Frisbee, I see. Alhamdulillah, we have this, we have this Ultimate Frisbee group um, in Lombard. We play every Saturday. It gets intense. A bunch of older guys. Uh, guys that can't run that much, but still... So it's it's really intense. You're more than welcome to join us. I'll I'll come through one day, man. Okay, yeah. I got to get back and share. <laughs> <laughs> so what were you doing um, after your hips? You went back to, I'm assuming, junior high and high school. Right. Okay. Went seventh grade. Um, public school was a shock when I went back because um, the madrasa, right, the boys and the girls were separated. I remember first the first day. It was a huge shock when I wa- walked into school. The teacher said, because this was in the middle of seventh grade, I, w- I wanted her to do my revision. So it took me three, four months to do that. Then my mom and dad said, all right, you can go back to public school now. So when I first walked into the class, it was a culture shock. The teacher said, kids, we have a new student today. His name is Asfar. Oh, like, no. What the heck is Asfar? <laughs> my name is Altfor. Yeah. I'll kind of... He just destroyed my name. Altfor comes from, is from Ismu Tafdil. Um, which means the most victorious. And it comes in the Quran. Mm-hmm. It's a very powerful name. But I wasn't confident at that time, so I didn't correct my teacher. And I... I was just reading that the Pew Research, according to Pew Research uh, Center, a lot of Muslim kids aren't confident in their faith. So I didn't correct my teacher at that time and let, let them call me whatever they, they were calling me. And it took me a few months to actually have them uh, correct me, uh, correct them in, in, in their pronunciation. I think we did a, we did a video on this, a concise advice video yeah, yeah, sure. on this. So you completed your junior high, your high school. And then you enrolled, you were at Benedictine University? Right, so I, I had this, like I said earlier, I went, I wanted, I thought I was going to be a three-star three athlete. <laughs> then I was like, I need a backup plan. Um, I, t- I was like, I want to be a police officer because of the badge, you, you get to take care of bad guys. So I told my dad, I want to be a cop. He said, no, you're not. I was like, all right, uh, let me think of something else. So in my sophomore year of high school, I had this really cool history teacher 
it was a little strange. He was a little awkward because um, he would wear certain uniforms and bring certain props. Sometimes he would come in as Abraham Lincoln. Sometimes he would dress up as uh, George Washington. But he made the class interesting. He, and he loved his. He loved. He loved history, and he made us appreciate history. And he gave. He was to give us projects that we were interested in presenting. So when I saw his passion, I said, I want to do what he's doing. I want to teach. So first I thought, I'm going to be a gym teacher because I love sports. Yeah, sure. Then I was like, uh, I think I'll, I think it would be better if I teach math, science, and English. I want to be an elementary teacher because I love kids. Mm -hmm. sure. So that's um, that's where I was inspired for my his sophomore history teacher to become a teacher. So then I went to Benedictine University, got my degree in education. And I thought I was going to teach, but then I saw how I, I saw Monica, I saw Kamal and Asif um, being a scholar and studying and see how, how that affected them, how they got closer to Allah, how they wanted to, uh, how they understood, the, started to understand the Quran. And that, that was actually one thing on the back of my mind in 1998, um, the, during our graduation, Muslim, he was trying to praise us, but actually... I took it the other way. He said, you see these Hufaz, they were able to memorize the Quran even though they can't even understand the Quran. They can't even speak Arabic, but they they can, uh, they can they are able to memorize the Quran and recite the Quran. I was like, man, here I am thinking I'm a big shan and I can't even understand the Quran. So that was always in the back of my mind. And after I completed my degree in education, I said I can go into teaching or I can go into uh, um trying to become a scholar and try to understand what the Qur'an is saying. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, even if I do it just for one year, at least I have some uh, so a solid foundation. So after I did my shurah with my parents, with my brothers, I asked my wife, because at that time I got married, I said, do you give me permission to study for this year? She said, that's going to mean that we won't have our own place, because mm -hmm. right? I'm, I'm not going to be working. Mm -hmm. And she said, I said, yeah. She said, yeah, go for it. I was like, awesome. So that then I made the choice to study at IAE. Nice, mashallah. And I'm assuming you chose that because your brothers were also studying there at the time. That was a big reason. But I had a prior relationship with the teachers. Mashallah. With Mala yeah. Sulaiman, Mala Baytullah. I already yeah. knew them from a long time ago, 1996. So it, was, it wasn't like, but we call them, We some people call them Abdurrahman Bai. Some people call them Mala Abdurrahman. I call them Mala Abdurrahman Bai because we have that Mashallah. relationship yeah. with them. Really close relationship with them. So how was it that first day um, in the Adam course? Was it what you were expecting or what, you know, it, we're told that the the courses are quite rig quite rigorous. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us a little about a little bit about your first year? You spent three years at IE, correct? Right. Right. Okay. Mashallah. So it helps. It definitely helped having two younger brothers already complete a few years before me, so they were able to, you know, provide me feedback and insight and what to expect. Mm -hmm. That was a very simple life. All I did was go to class, prepare for class. Um, review my notes, be an active listener, then review the classroom with my classmates, and then head back home and try to spend time with my wife who I just married. That was That's all I did for those uh, three years at IIE. I didn't have much of a social life. I didn't work. I actually had a pretty big gut at the end. It kept increasing. 
mm-hmm. every every year because I didn't spend any barely any physical activity those five years. That's something I regret. Wait, so you mentioned that initially you only wanted to go study for one year. Yeah. What what drew you back to to continue your studies? I I enjoyed studying those sciences, sira, aqida, fiqh. Uh, I said, this is awesome. I'm just getting started. I had to get permission from my wife again. Yeah. And she said, yeah, you can complete the, you can complete the course. Nice I said, great. Um, so the first three years I did it at IIE and, and it was the best years of my life. I wish I could be a, I wish I could do that. Or just quit my job right now and, and do that again right now. No, just it's it's different. It's different teaching and leading a community, because there's a lot of pressure on you when you're teaching and you're and you're uh, leading and you're serving the community. But when you're just a student, the only pressure is uh, understanding the material. And for me, that that that's that that's not that's not unnecessary stress. That's a good stress. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. I really did. That helped me get closer to Allah, um, understanding the Quran. Then after the third year, finances started to increase, and I needed to start to work. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I, I was like, what am I going to do now? I don't want to go to public school. I don't want to teach math, science, and English anymore. Those subjects don't interest me anymore. Yeah. I want to learn. I want to teach what I just learned at IIE. So the best option was to go teach at IFS. That's what I'm Islamic Foundation School in Villa Park. So I was able to... Uh, take the material that I learned at IAE for those three years, fiqh, aqidah, sirah, arabi, and teach those same subjects at IFS to the middle school, high school students. And I loved it. I enjoyed it. And Darul, and then I studied at night at Darul Uloom online. You know, it's best to s- complete your studies before you get married. Mm-hmm. It's always best because it's difficult. And I was able to do it for the first three years, but then, you know, finances uh, start to increase. Um, so the, the good part, the, the cons were it was online. I didn't have a prior relationship with all the teachers, with none of the teachers except Mufti Yasser. <laughs> and there was no classroom environment. And for me, the worst part was it was after work. Teaching is... it. it it takes your mind out. You have to, you want to relax after teaching eight to four. Yeah. But then I had to, I had class from six to 10. So what I did when I would come back home at four, from four to four forty-five, I would knock out and go to sleep and then wake up. I would try to recreate that atmosphere because at IIE, what we would do after you go to sleep, you wake up and then you study. So that's what I, I tried to recreate that atmosphere, go to sleep, when I come back from IFS and then uh, study and prepare for, and Alhamdulillah, it was the same courses that we took at Darul Uloom online. It was the same Tafsir al Nasafi, Mirath, Uloom al Quran, Usul al Hadith, Usul al Tafsir. So those same courses that I was supposed to take in the fourth year at IIE, I was able to take them at uh, Darul online with teachers who were qualified, mashallah. And they did care uh, for their students. Um, I, I would complain to Kamal sometimes. I would say, man, it's not the same at IE. 
as I, he said, yeah, of course, it's not the same. It's important where you study, but it's also equally important how you study. Hmm. So, alhamdulillah, to bridge that gap from studying online, I would have private sessions with him, Monogamo, um, and I would call my teachers up whenever I had any questions on some of the same courses that I was taking at, at Dharam online to help you know, close the gap. Nice, mashallah. So when did you uh, graduate from Darulum Online? Darulum Online uh, around, two, I would say, 14, 2014. Okay, nice, mashallah. Yep. As a background, you have a, uh, you teach for a living prior to, right. you know, where you're at right now. Now, as an educator, what what motivates you? What drives you? At first, it was young people. That's why I wanted to be that's why I got a degree in elementary education. You don't find many males in, uh, and many many of my courses. Um, it was I would, I would say sometimes I was the only male mm-hmm. student, but I loved young people. I was comfortable around them. Uh, they were comfortable around me. I understood them. They laughed at my corny jokes. Um, I, I could just be myself with them. Yeah, I really enjoyed being around young people. So that was the first reason why I studied uh, elementary education and became a teacher. Mm-hmm. But then, once I graduated from IIE, it wasn't just young people; it was the subjects that I was teaching. That's why when I graduated from when I got my alim degree, I didn't want to go back to elementary education because I didn't want to teach those subjects. Yeah, I wanted to teach, you know, fiqh, sirah, qida, um, and Arabi. So that's why I taught at uh, IFS for middle school and high school students. Uh, that's why I'm, I'm teaching. I, I still love, I still enjoy being around young people, but I'm okay with teaching uh, the elderly as well now. Most of my students that I teach as an imam now, they're, they're sisters or they're the elderly. Mm-hmm. Still have sessions with the youth. But most of the participants for the Ulum al-Quran class or the Sira class or the Tajweed class or for the Khatras after Fajr or after Isha, they are the elderly. So how has your uh, background in teaching helped you as an imam and to lead a community today? Some of the strategies that I learned when I became an educator, I've had to use them being an imam. And honestly... When I first, so those strategies were great. I was like, man, this is so beneficial. But then when I started to read the strategies, the teaching strategies of Muhammad Sallallahu and there's a great book by Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghadda, the teaching methodology of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I was like, man, I should have just read this book before I went into te- teaching. <laughs> I should have told every, all of my classmates that, hey, you guys should check out this book if you're really interested in education. Because Muhammad Sallallahu has so many amazing teaching strategies that not many people talk about, such as speaking according to the language of, of whoever you're talking to, not talking too long. How many teachers that we know that just lecture, lecture, lecture. So he used different teaching strategies. He would use appropriate physical touch right, with the same gender. So some of those teaching strategies, I didn't find them in... in a, in my studies at BU, but I found them um, studying the seerah of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He would never yell. How many teachers did I have that used to yell at their students? Right? Well, but when we read at the teaching strategies of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he never yelled. That's why I love the teachers at IIE. They never struck 
um, their students. All right, they made us have a sense of haya, a sense of shame. What um, when whenever we did something bad? Wait, so hold up one second. When did you start concise advice? I started concise advice. I think in the second year of the Allen program, second or third, second or third year. Okay. So first, I was first I started doing videos, but then I was like, I'm not a scholar. I would I want to have I want to interview other people. I want to interview scholars and Muslim professionals. Um, first, I was interested in to- I wanted to speak on topics which I was interested in, like atheism, mm-hmm. or whenever I I learned of a hadith in Ayyi, I was like, man, I think more people should know this hadith. So I would talk about that hadith in nice. concise advice. But then I was like, I think it's better that we have scholars, because at that time I was only in my second or third year at IE. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want to have scholars and Muslim professionals um, do videos. So once I completed my degree, then I started doing more videos. Okay, know, so you started this advice. during your studies, basically, yep. mashallah. Yep. That's pretty awesome, man. Yeah. Check them out, youtube.com backslash concise advice yeah. 21. Yeah. Why the 21? <laughs> I know the answer, but I'm asking you on purpose. Uh, you know the answer? What's the answer? It's Sammy Sosa. Oh, Come on, yeah, man. He yeah. said you're a coach then, bro. Yeah. Come on. Uh, yeah. so, I love the way he used to hop after he made the after he hit a home run. Nice. But once that cork incident happened, you know, we all make mistakes. We all make terrible <laughs> mistakes. Rasulullah he said it best. Shabab so that youth is a part of insanity. Mm-hmm. But the way he responded, I, I didn't like it. He didn't own up to his mistake. Yeah. He's like, I didn't know there was a, I didn't know that bat had cork in it. He was just kind of trying to play dumb. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't like that. And we see that in, at work. And, you know, we see that even with adults, right? They don't, they think that real men don't apologize. No, real men do apologize. Mm-hmm. Plastic men don't apologize. Um, so once he did that, and then he once he started to turn his skin into bleach white, I was like, man, I got to pick a different... When people ask me 21, I was like, oh, that's because of Deion Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> Just pick somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, social love. Can you share with us a little bit? I know um, your father, Rahimullah, he passed away recently um, in, the midst, in the middle of Ramadan, actually. And mashallah, you guys actually released a little booklet. And with your permission and with your family's permission, I'll put it in the link uh, in the description as well. And it was so beautiful when I was going through it. And it was so like, wallahi, like I remember seeing your father in Artikaf. And I used to tell myself, you know, I have to go to Ziyanko and I have to ask him what his parenting style was. Because mashallah, I texted all of you guys. I told you, your father raised men, you know, mashallah. Mm. And mashallah, you guys, the... Every time people see you, like every time people even think about you, like I just remember someone was mentioning something about you. Everyone just started laughing and smiling. Like, watch out. You guys have that type of impact on so many individuals. Um, you know, that all the Aldi jokes pop up in my head right away. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> on his LinkedIn, on his professional LinkedIn, it says professional Aldi shopper. <laughs> Inshallah. Um, if you don't mind, can you can you speak a little bit uh, a little bit about your father and the influences and you know what his parenting style was with you know Mashallah, you guys are all a bunch yeah. of boys in the house yeah. Yeah. and how um, 
he impacted you guys and how he raised you guys to, mashallah, become hafad, not only hafad, ulama, and now, mashallah, you, you're leading a community, yeah. mashallah. Like my teachers, he never struck us once. Mashallah. He would give us the death stare, but he never struck us once. And one of the reasons why I was really comfortable going to him in regards to sensitive topics, even though he didn't grow up here, he didn't go to school here, but I was comfortable going to him talking about uh, that whatever issues I was going through in school was because he used to play with us when we were young and when he was young. And even when he got older, he tried to as much as his body allowed him to. But once he started to play baseball with us, play catch with us, or play soccer with us, he was a big soccer player when he was young. Um, I was like, man, he's just like me, right? And uh, he used to watch games with us. I honestly, I don't think he had any interest in football, but just because he wanted to connect more with us on a deeper level, he would sometimes sit down while we're watching the Bears game. And I remember once the Bears were playing the Cowboys, and he was like, I'm a Cowboys fan. I like the Cowboys. I was like, man, you're not a Cowboys fan. You're just trying to rub it in. <laughs> and he would always say, Bears are in the bottom of the pile. But that, those kind of, because, because he spent time with us uh, doing things that we liked, that made me comfortable going to him. And as an imam now, now I notice the impact of that because every single parent who has come to me as an imam and they said and they say my child has this problem but he won't listen to me my child has these drug issues but they don't they just don't listen to me then i asked them did you spend quality time with them when they were young when they were young did you did you play with them did you spend quality time doing things that they like to do without any screen time the answer is no and that's that's the key right there. You can't come to the, you can't come to a sheikh or an imam and say, "Imam, fix my son," when he's fifteen, sixteen years old. By then, it's too late. It is oftentimes it's too late. That's the bad news. Sometimes they are able to get back on track, but there's a huge gap as far as lack of trust. They still love each other, but there's that lack of trust. Um, and I think if they just spend quality time with them when they're young, they'll make it easier for the kids to come to the parents whenever they have these major issues such as marriage or drugs. Or you know, Kids go through a lot in high school. We went through a lot. We grew up here. We went to high mm -hmm. school. There's a lot of stuff that you know it's hard to talk to our parents about. But if your parents played with you and if they become you, if you, they become your friend, it makes it much easier to bring up these topics. Otherwise, we'd go to you know, our class, our friends in high school, and ask, hey, what should we do about this? Or and They were open. My dad was open about talking about sensitive issues with us Mashallah. privately. I remember uh, once after, when I was seven years old, we were praying uh, salah, and um, he was leading the salah. Then after he, after he prayed the salah, he turned around and he started giving a khatra. He said, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. He said, one day, my dad was leading all five of us in salah. And my dad, Qamaruddin, said, all five of you are like the fingers on this palm. And if you stick together, 
you will reach your potential. You will reach your potential. But as soon as one brother deviates or another brother goes uh, astray and, and is, becomes divided with another brother, you won't be able to reach your potential. You can't catch the ball. So he said, stick together. That doesn't mean you stick together no matter what. That doesn't mean that you uh, don't call each other out. You, you do call each other out. You keep yourself uh, accountable. And this is what we see in some massages that sometimes board members or, or, or members of the administration, they're such close friends with each other that if they know that their friend did something wrong, they won't call each other out. Mm -hmm. So my dad was, you know, call each other out, but do it and discipline each other with dignity. Sure. Take that person to the side and, and then be united. Be united at all costs. So that always stuck with me. MashaAllah. JazakAllah khairan for sharing that with us. I really appreciate it. <clears throat> now, MashaAllah, you were you mentioned that you were serving as uh, as a teacher at Islamic Foundation, and then you made the transition over since you completed your studies, your Adamiya degree uh, from Darulum online, and now you've been serving uh, Islamic Foundation North in Waukegan, Illinois, uh, for about how many years now? Five years. MashaAllah, man, that's great. Time flies. But I remember the, I remember when you made the post about like you know I'm taking this position yeah. at IFN and yeah. stuff. I was like, oh, MashaAllah, that's dope. Yeah. So over those five years. Um, you know, what type of things are you kind of dealing with over there? Are you leading all the salah and you're a counselor yeah. and a uh, marriage therapist and a nikah guy? And then, you know, the, you're going to cross up the kids on the court and, you know, <laughs> like are you all in one package. Yeah. So, so we had a, when I was at IFS, we had a Friday that was off. So then IFN asked me if I could do a khutbah there. It's like, sure, I'll go. So I did give a khutbah there. Then they, I knew they needed an imam, mm -hmm. but I wasn't, too serious because I had an awesome job at IFS. I loved yeah, what I was sure. doing. Then after the khutbah, they were like, hey, do you do you want to become an imam? I was like, ah, not really. Not interested. I did the interview as well. But still, I was like, um, I have I already have what I like. So I'll, I'll, then they said, think about it. I was like, all right, let me do mashfara with my parents and with my shiur and with my brothers. So my both my parents said no. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. I I kind of understood their responses because I, at that time I was living with them. And they didn't want me to move an hour away. Yeah. Um, my teachers, both of them, both of the uh, spiritual advisors that I asked, they said, don't do it. One of them said, um, you don't know what you're getting into. Hmm. And the other one said, politics. I was like, what, what do you mean politics? He's like, you won't understand until you become an imam. I said, okay. So my parents said no. My teachers said no. Let me ask my brothers. So I asked my brothers. They said, if I were you personally, I would never be an imam. Both Kamal and Asif said that they would never be an imam. They don't want to deal with all the various types of people you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right. <laughs> Got no's across the board. That is Salat al Istikhara. And I didn't see a dream. It wasn't anything magnificent that I saw. Mm -hmm. But I just started having these thoughts that if I always stay in my uh, comfort zone, I'm not going to grow. I was comfortable being a teacher. But I was like, I'm teaching fiqh of janazah to my students, but I never washed the body myself. 
I talk about mental health with my students, but I don't. I haven't gone to a jail and met person met a person who's gone to jail just because he or she has mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have that practical knowledge that I always wanted. So I said, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try it out for six months. I try do a trial run. If it doesn't work out, I can always go back to IFS." Mm-hmm. So for six months, I tried it, and it was difficult. Um, I didn't realize how much leadership was involved in being an imam. But then I said, I think this is what I want to do, especially because you can be involved in interfaith. I love going to rallies and just you know, being doing a maybe doing a speech there or doing a dua with uh, at at these uh, justice uh, rally, trying to raise awareness in regards to police brutality. That's something I could never do mm-hmm. uh, as a teacher. So those are some of the reasons why I was like, all right, I think I think I'm comfortable where I'm at. I want to stay being an imam. Nice, mashallah. That's awesome. So you mentioned that you know uh, going to prison and you volunteer as a chaplain over there as well. How did you get involved with that? The first year, first few years at IFN, I, I did a lot of counseling. I think I did too much counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the thing with imams; they wear a lot of hats. Um, so whenever the hospital needed an imam or a Muslim chaplain to uh, to spend time with the person who is who is dying or the person who's sick, they would call me. So the first two years, I did a lot of that. And then, alhamdulillah, I found... I still go to the hospital every every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, but alhamdulillah, that task has been delegated to other people. Um, for the jail, no one was fulfilling that need. People were scared that... Because we needed khatibs. We, I had a brother who said, I want to give khutbah, Imam. I was like, do you have any training in giving a khutbah? He said, no. Uh, but I know what the community wants to hear, so let me give the khutbah. I was like, uh, <laughs> I don't think that's a qualification to give a khutbah. And then I said, actually, brother, we have a big need at the Lake County Jail. I'm only giving there. I'm, I'm only giving a khutbah there once a month. But I'm looking for brothers who are interested in giving a khutbah at the jail. You want to give a khutbah there? He's like, no, no, I don't want to give a jail. I was like, man, what the hell? <laughs> That's where it's needed. Mm-hmm. And nobody was stepping up to the plate. So up until before COVID happened, I used to give a khutbah once a month at the jail. Mm-hmm. And those brothers, mashallah, they, I would say, made a few mistakes in their life due to not having a fatherly figure. Or due to the environment, and it could have been me if I didn't have the father I had. I don't know what kind of you know person. Maybe I would have been in jail. So a lot of people demonize them, but once you get to know them and you talk with them, you listen to their stories. They will themselves. I never asked them, "Hey, why are you? What are you in here for?" No, they themselves will. You know, once you have a real relationship with them, after the khutbah, after I, I would give a khutbah, I would ask, "Okay, what's on your mind? What did you think of the khutbah?" And uh, um, then is there anything else you want to share? So because it was only a 10, 15 minute, a 10, 10 to 15 group of people, they would be very uh, intimate and they would share personal stories. And a lot, oftentimes the, the guard would have to come. All right, it's your time. Get out. Mm-hmm. But that was a huge need. I, that's one of my favorite jobs. That's one of my favorite parts of being an imam as well, going to the jail once a month. Sure. I never got a chance to do that at uh, at IFS. Inshallah. That's amazing, man. Uh, and 
It's truly inspiring. They're, um, they're better listeners too, Hamza. They like at the masjid where I, you know, whenever I give khutbahs, people are listening, but some people, you know, relax and sometimes they put their back against a wall. Sometimes I haven't, their seen, phone. I haven't seen Alhamdulillah anyone oh, on their haven't? phone. I haven't. Alhamdulillah. Okay. I know pe- uh, some imams complain, but I haven't mm-hmm. seen that. Um, I haven't seen people talking, but with the inmates, with the Muslim inmates, they're all they're, they all have their back. A lot of them have uh, uh, their own notepad. They're taking Mashallah. notes. I was like, Subhanallah, they kind of remind me of you know students of knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're also, I mean, this is something that I we had to res- reschedule due to you're writing your thesis. All right. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? What you're getting your master's currently and right. what were you writing your thesis on? Yeah. So after I got my degree, I go home online. And the, 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 the Darsi Nizami curriculum at IIE is, is awesome. Right? It's a proven curriculum. Mm-hmm. And the Arabic courses are far more superior than any university or any college. But there were some topics that I wanted to discuss that AIC offered that we didn't cover at IIE or at Dome Online, mm-hmm. such as Sufism, feminism. Mm-hmm. So I was able to write papers on uh, the misconceptions of Sufism. We, we took an ethics class, and I was able to write a paper on the ethics of playing sports. A lot of people trash-talking these MSA football games, and they crossed the line, mm-hmm. right? Or is the law of apostasy a non-negotiable aspect of Islam? Many people read the hadith, mm-hmm. whoever changes his religion, kill him. They don't understand that hadith. Or uh, is the is the impermissibility of music uh, a blanket statement for all types of music? That's a topic I was always interested in. I didn't feel like they were appropriate. I, I always felt that they were there were extremes on both sides. Even even by some of the books I, I read by ulama, I felt that either one uh, they were either taking one side or the other. So those were all topics I was interested in. So I thought I wrote a balanced um, paper on, on those subjects. Then, after I completed all the courses at AIC, I was like, what am I going to write my paper on? And this took me a long time to figure out, what, what should I write my paper on? Then I, I decided, hey, why don't I write a paper on how imams in America can survive and thrive while working in America? I haven't heard of anyone writing a paper on this topic. Dude, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Mashallah. That's, that's what I always try to do, whether I'm at work or with concise advice. I always try to do something that nobody else has done. Mm-hmm. Or if someone has done it, do it in a much better way. Yeah. So I interviewed, I have inter- I'm still interviewing more than 50 imams. Mashallah. Um, they shared their personal stories. Some of them were, wanted to remain anonymous in their responses to be real. Mm-hmm. Um, because they were bashing their administration. <laughs> <laughs> and then collecting data. So then I found out that, that so after, then, you know, I'm a person who doesn't like doing a lot of things at once. It took me six years to complete. I, I'm still, I just finished the paper this week and I handed it in to my professor. Sure. It took me six years to complete the degree from AIC. Um, some people completed in two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they're doing like the, the the point of them is to try to get their master's degree. I don't even care about that. I'm doing this because I I love it. Yeah, mashallah, you're already a working professional yeah. within your field, right? So the two things I've discovered was one, management 
needs to be trained in how to run a nonprofit organization. Management needs to learn servant leadership, the leadership of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, who said, the leader of the people is the one who serves them. And management needs to have ikhlas, sincerity. As Yusuf salam said, make me the treasure. He emphatically said that. But he was sincere when he said it. He said, I got two qualities. I'm qualified, inni hafid, inni alim. And I know what I'm doing. So those are the two qualities. Whoever wants to be in Masjid administration, border EC, they need to have those two qualities. For Imams, they need to master five themes in order to thrive and survive while being an Imam in America. And those five themes are, number one, personal development. A lot of people, a lot of Imams are trying to get people their congregation to get closer to Allah, but they themselves are not doing any individual ibadah. They themselves aren't doing any individual dhikr or reading the, the Quran for their own pleasure. The only time they're reading the, the Quran is to prepare for the salah. Mm -hmm. They themselves aren't getting closer to Allah. They themselves are not holding themselves accountable. So that's the first thing, spiritual formation. How are you, not as an imam, as a human being, as a Muslim, getting closer to Allah? The second theme is uh, marriage and family. Unfortunately, many imams that I interviewed, over 50 of them, um, when, I, when I was speaking with them, they, they said their marriage has suffered tremendously because of imamat. SubhanAllah. They've had to choose between the masjid and their family. And one email was telling me that during the interview process, he was asked a question. He said, the board member asked him, are you willing to make sacrifices for your family? Are you willing to sacrifice your family for the sake of the masjid? The email was like, what kind of question is that? <laughs> Did I hear that right? Yeah. yeah. He said, Allah says, save yourself and your family from the fire. Mm -hmm. You gotta first take care of yourself. It doesn't make sense. You're leading the entire community. You're not even leading your family members. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, many family members, are, many imams, are not spending quality time with their uh, with their family members. This week, I was on vacation, five day uh, five days. I re I had to do four counseling sessions and one session for the youth oh, wow. during my during, during my your vacation. Break. Yeah, during my break. Wow. And I was still called out by one brother. He said, you didn't respond to my call. You didn't respond to my call. I said, oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't receive. Cause I didn't check my WhatsApp that much. Mm. He sent it on WhatsApp. I'm not constantly checking my WhatsApp on, on, on vacation. The third theme is self-care. Many imams don't take care of themselves physically. Mm -hmm. um, the fourth theme, and we know from the life of Muhammad right, that when he prayed, he could actually see his toes. How many imams can say that? Right? They, they got that gut. Um, the fourth theme is so marriage and family, self-care, so emotional intelligence. You, I, I personally had a lot of emotional intelligence at IFS because I could read the kids and they could read me. Whenever they tried to do something, uh, miss, uh, try to do something bad, I, I knew right away. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes kids were on their phone and they were laughing. They, they thought they were slick because they were, uh, <laughs> they were under this desk. So I put a sign up that says, I know when you are using your phone, nobody looks at their groin and smiles. <laughs> 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 but with adults, 
it's hard. It was hard with when I was a, when I became an imam. It was very hard for me to have high emotional intelligence because it was difficult for me to read them. Number mm-hmm. one, a lot of them weren't born here. Number two, there's a there's an age gap. Sometimes I'm looking at them in the eye. I'm talking to them face to face. So they say something to me and then they say something else. So it's hard for me sometimes to read uh, to read them. Most of them, alhamdulillah, I would say um, it's easy for me to read them. But that's another thing. That's another theme that imams need to master emotional intelligence with their community and cultural intelligence. And the last theme is leadership. Like I said earlier, I was surprised how much leadership is involved in being an imam. With teaching, you, you just teach, right? I, yeah. You're a leader for the kids. But f- being an imam, you have to be an imam for the diverse community. For the sisters, you got to be an imam. For the youth, you have to be an imam. For the high school students, for the college students, for the elderly, you have to learn how to lead all these different types of people. And that's why Muhammad Sallallahu was so powerful and influential in his leadership. He was He was able to lead them. So I really appreciate the leadership of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam once I became an imam. So those are the five themes that I'm focusing on in my paper. When's it, when's it going to be officially released? I know you just submitted it to your yeah. professor. So I'm waiting for the professor to approve it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm graduating. Then I want to show it to a, a few of my uh, spiritual advisors. Um, have them look at it, approve it. And have them write a forward, and then write it, have it in a book format, and then publish it. Mashallah. Yeah. So. No, this—it's honestly truly amazing work. Um, being involved with many different nonprofits throughout my life, I—I I mean, you do notice that as a commonality, having peers and friends who were who were and are imams currently. Um, there's always it, it, the way you outlined it, Mashallah, is very beautiful. Just those five themes in and of itself. Um, and you just started off with how to run a nonprofit. Yeah. I think that, mashallah, that's yeah. very important as well. Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you have for the musallis for to interact with the imam? Because I'm sure there's something that may be on your mind or, you know, it's just like, man, like these guys just don't know. They don't know how it is to be an imam. So is there anything that you would give general advice um, for musallis on how to in- interact with their imam? That's a good question. I would say treat the imam as a human being. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people look at an imam and they don't look at him as a human being. They look at him as someone who is representing God. And that okay, he is representing Allah. Um, but uh, you can be real with the imam. Um, and imams need to first earn their trust, right? There's a lot of um, imams who may do certain things that cause the musallis not to trust them. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say first and foremost, the imam needs to do a lot of listening and learning and uh, seeing what the community is. Maybe he's not the right person for their specific community. So once the imam, they have this, once the community and the administration has decided this imam is right for the community and the community has decided that, yes, this imam is right for me, then I think they just need to find a way to gel somehow, some way. And we all have weaknesses. That's one of the things I like about ha- my brother Hadith, my oldest brother Hadith. If he had one bad interaction with a person or if he... Uh, he would always take the good and leave the bad. Inshallah. A lot of us, we have one bad interaction with a person that say, I don't, I don't like this person. 
right? We maximize their flaws. But Muhammad he would minimize people's faults and he would use them in a good manner. Mm-hmm. That's I think if we study the leadership of Muhammad and even if you don't like an imam or you don't like any person, just try to take whatever good that person brings to the table and use them in a, in a good manner mm-hmm. and try to minimize other people's faults. That would be my suggestion to, to anyone, not just you know, yeah. how to interact with an imam, but interacting with anyone. Nice, Asghar, Jazakumullah khairan. Sincerely, from you know, from all of us here, Ambazar Uthman, um, you know, we thank you so much for your efforts. You helped us out in Ramadan as well with programs okay. for the youth. Okay. Um, and now, mashallah, if anyone wants to get in touch with Sheikh Asfar, uh, it's quite easy. You can catch him either at Placid, um, you know, <laughs> he'll cross you up, or you can go to his YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash concise advice 21, where you'll find a plethora of uh, short videos that can help you in whatever you're dealing with, mashallah. And he's continuously uploading these uh, new videos, you know, on a consistent basis or whenever you have time, mashallah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you ever want to catch him, you can catch him leading Salah at the Islamic <laughs> Foundation North in Waukegan, Illinois. Jazakallah khairan again. Our next video we're thinking of doing is um, the Islamic paradigm of worrying. A lot of people have unnecessary worries and they don't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about the Islamic perspective on how to deal with your worries and how to spend less time on your worries. Nice. So that's one of the tips. Um, for our uh, next concise advice video. MashaAllah, MashaAllah. May Allah fill it with barakah. Ameen. May Allah fill it with afiyah. Ameen. And may Allah ta'ala allow you and your family uh, maghfirah and grant your father jannah Ameen. for those who be ghairi hisab wa la'adhaab, inshaAllah. Ameen. Zakhaira. Ameen. Ameen.